2 Kings chapter 6. And I'd like to finish up this morning, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And we've been looking at verses 8 to 13. We get to the end of this passage of Scripture, and Elisha has found himself with a bunch of Syrians who have been struck with blindness. And Elisha does something amazing, because it says in verse 18, So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring to you whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was, when he had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And Lord, open their eyes. And they saw. And there were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go, go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Let's pray this morning. Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open your word and I pray that as we look into it, that God, you might be glorified. I pray that you might help us as we talk about loving our enemies. That you might look at, it, at us and see people who have the kind of life that love that Christ had. Love that was greater than our sin. Love that would leave heaven to die for us. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to be honest and to look into your scriptures. And to look into our lives and the lives of the people around us. And to look to make a difference. For it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there's a documentary that I, I enjoy and I've watched many times. I've shown it to um, many science classes. And that documentary is has to do with the it's called no intelligence allowed and it has to do with a debate against the teaching of intelligent design that life was was designed to be on this planet that it must have taken an intelligent creator to design life on this planet and i don't really want to talk to you about the debate of creationism versus evolution today that's not my point but there's a point in that film where there's a man by the name of Richard Dawkins, the author of the book, The God Delusion. And he says, I, I would like nothing to do with this genocidal, murdering, homophobic God of the Old Testament. He throws in some other adjectives in there. 
as he's talking about that. And he says, I don't want anything to do with that God. And as I hear him go on and on and on and try to describe what he believes about a world that could not be created by a creator God, he ends up kind of sticking his mouth and admitting that probably the best answer would be that maybe some intelligent being did create life on this planet. But as I watch that and I see, I see that, I instantly think of you, you just think that the God of the Old Testament ran around killing and destroying people. Try telling that to the people of the city of Nineveh. Try telling that to the Israelites. Try telling that to the Syrians in 2 Kings chapter 6. And all through the, through the Old Testament... I find a God who says things like we read about in Ezekiel chapter 18. Just open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel chapter 18, in verse 30, it says, Therefore, in Ezekiel chapter 18, in verse 30, it says, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you, according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. I wrote down a number of places in the Old Testament where God says similar things, but probably the, the place that we are most familiar with comes from 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Please turn in your Bibles. The second Peter chapter three and verse nine in second Peter chapter three and verse nine, it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As I look at the Old Testament, a time where God dealt with sin through the law, the sacrificial system, and a time when the people look forward to a Messiah that would come, to take care of the sin problem for the people. I see a God who is the same as He is today. He may have governed the world differently at that time. And things may have looked different. And as I am so glad to be a member of the church. And to know that I have the promise of an indwelling Holy Spirit. To know that I have the, the veil torn and that I can boldly go to the throne of grace. And that the God has, has allowed us to live in this amazing time. 
in which we get to experience God's eternal grace, His daily grace, given to us through Jesus Christ. And we can, we can do this. We can celebrate the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled and not live in a time where we look forward to that. But at the same time, I see that the same compassionate God is in the Old Testament that's in the New. And as I read the Bible, the, the whole text, and I don't pick out one or two places, I see a God who demands justice for sin. I see a God who, who holds people responsible for their actions. And God still does. If you die in your sins today without finding true repentance and forgiveness of sins found at Jesus Christ, there will be a penalty for sin. There is a very real penalty for sin. It might seem like people get away with it today, but there is a very real penalty and there are consequences to sin. The intelligent God who created this world is still an intelligent God. He does not let sin go unpunished. But at the same time, He showed, showed us, showed the world His amazing love when He died on the cross. And forgiveness of sins. And as I look through the Old Testament, I see men like Elijah, Elisha, who is a model of a God who mercifully treats his enemies as if he loves them. He asked God to close the eyes of these men. And in doing so, he's able to lead them into Samaria and he could have obliterated them in 2 Kings chapter 6, but instead he showed kindness. We have enemies today all around us. We have personal enemies, people who would desire to see us as Christians to fall flat on our face, to make some mistake. To prove to them that, that we are just the same as them. And, and they don't understand the truth that most of us in this room know. Most of us in this room practice. Is that we're no better than them. We are just a sinner who has experienced grace. And wants to pass it on to the rest of the world. And that's what we want to do. We want to love our enemies as Christ commanded us to. So let's look at this passage of scripture, 2 Kings chapter 6. I gotta I have to be honest with you right now. God sometimes throws hiccups, hiccups in your path, and this morning was a little hiccup. Um, I usually have a clock right here, so I know what time it is. I have no idea where I put it. And usually there's a clock right there. Oh, it's right there. Is that clock right? I better get moving. <laughs> Psalm 33. I know we had a lot of things, a lot of extra things going on. I always tell my wife, I never get accomplished what I mean to on the first Sunday of the month. But that's okay, because communion's more important. Psalm chapter 33. 
Psalm chapter 33, verses 10 to 13, it says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, but the plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He has chosen as His own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven and He sees all the sons of men. God is sitting up on His throne and He's looking down here on this earth and, and your enemy would love to destroy you. But God's got a bigger plan. If His plan includes having you face a test from an enemy, know that the same God who worked all things together for good to a guy by the name of Joseph, Joseph is the same God that's at work at your life. If your enemy is, seems like it's trying to get out is trying to get you, know that you have a God that says, no matter how much time the enemy can try to trip you up, can try to destroy your life, you've got a God that's plans are bigger than your enemies. And he can trip your enemy's plans up. He can take your enemy's plans and turn them around and work them out for his good. And that same God that we have in Psalm chapter 33 is the same God we have today. The second thing that I'd like you to think about is... Your real enemy is not people. I know we might have a neighbor who is awful. I understand that. I know we might have somebody who it seems like every time they walk into the room, they're out to get us. We have to understand that that person is a sinner just like us. That person needs Christ just like us. And we need to pray that God will do a miracle and that He, even if it seems impossible, God will step into that person's life and make a difference. But our real enemy, our real adversary, is the devil. In Romans chapter 12, verses 20 to 21, it says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what I wrote in my Bible after those words? Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I wrote the letters Y-E. Yes. Yes. We read about the same thing in Proverbs chapter 22, verses 20, 21 and 22, that we need to, and for time's sake, you can write that verse down, you can go and look at it later. But in that passage of Scripture, we learn that we need to go out of our way to show compassion and kindness to our enemies. There's that phrase in both of those things where it says, For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That to us sounds pretty awful. Um, I think about and I picture in my head going and putting a bunch of coals on, on somebody else's head, and that doesn't sound very good. But in looking at that and seeing that, we understand that this may refer to an act of kindness. 
the expression may reflect some things that, that happened in the Old Testament where uh, you would be passing on a fire from one person to another who had gone out. There also was an Egyptian ritual in which this was done uh, to a guilty person as a sign of repentance. And they carried a basin of coals, glowing coals on their head. There's lots of many different explanations for what this means. But I got to tell you, as I read that, it says you've got to do nice things to your enemy. You've got to be kind to them. Because the first thing it's going to do, it's going to drive them nuts. Because they're going out of their way to try and hurt you, but you're loving them. You're being kind to them. And maybe someday the light bulb will finally go on and say, oh, maybe that person's not so bad. And, and what would it take to, for someone to love me so much that they'd be willing to do that? We are commanded to love our enemies in the New Testament and the Old, to, to love them with Christ's kind of love. Let's turn in our, our Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 43 to 44. 43 and 44. I don't believe that in the command to love our enemies, we are asked to lay down and not stand up for what is right. God stood for what is right. He stood up against sin, and He made sure that sin did not rule the day. I, I, have you ever seen a parent that just let children get away with whatever they wanted and, and never stood up to them doing something wrong? It spoils them pretty soon. But at the same time, not only do, do children need to be taught what's right and wrong, they also need to be shown compassionate love. That word we often use, agape, love of Christ. The sinless, sacrificial, non-self-serving love that only Christ could have. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know what that looks like? It looks exactly like what Elisha was talking about. When you got, when Elisha put in, I shouldn't say talk about, what Elisha put into practice. When you have your enemy up against the wall, they are surrounded and you could just say, give the king the order and say, finish him. You say, no, let's not do that. Let's feed them. Let's be compassionate. Let's help them. Let's be kind to them. We also need to lead them to what they are seeking. Turn in your Bibles just over a few pages to Matthew chapter 6. And let's look at verses 33 and 34. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this passage of Scripture, we sing songs about this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Somebody who's lost, 
who is making your life miserable is acting exactly how they are supposed to. A lost sinner. Love them. Show the love of Christ to them. Act like Christ to them. And in maybe doing that, maybe they'll get so confused by your actions, so disoriented by somebody who, who despite of everything that they have done, still loves them, that one day, one day, when it all comes crumbling down, they may allow you to lead them right into church so that they could seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Also, I'd like us to think about and consider that in that story, those guys became blind. Elisha prayed that they would be blinded. And then their eyes were open to the truth. We need to go about being someone that looks to see and we pray that God will open the eyes of the blind. In John chapter 9, I wrote down two passages of Scripture up there. John 9.25 and John 12.37-41. to 41. In John chapter 9, there's a blind man. The story of the blind man. And when his eyes were opened, I think he was the only one who could really truly see what was going on in, this, in the passage of Scripture. You read his interactions with his enemies. And he just wanted to point them to Christ. And in John chapter 9 and verse 25, when asked about what Jesus had done in his life, this blind man says, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. When you interact with an enemy, someone who is out to get you, someone who is out to destroy you, maybe you feel surrounded, and you show them the love of Christ, I'd like you to picture them in this light. That maybe that enemy is blind to the truth. And in being blind to the truth, they can't see it properly. We need to lift them up before the Lord. That God will open their eyes to the truth. How many people do we talk to, do we see with, that we interact with, that are Christians that say, if you could look back at me, I was a miserable person. I was a sinner. I was awful. And I did A, B, C, D, E, and F, and G. But then when I found Christ, He completely changed my life. Got one one more verse. Romans chapter 10. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha prayed to the king, save their life, feed them, do great things, show compassion, and see what God will do. We're supposed to do the same. You read the book of Acts, you read the book of Romans, and the Jewish people tried to kill Paul over and over and over again because of his belief in Jesus Christ. 
He was stoned. He was beaten. They were trying to throw him to the Romans every chance they get. Just like Christ. Here's Paul's response. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Do you understand what the Roman, what the, the Jews at the time were doing to Paul? They were his enemy. They wanted him dead and they took action against him. And he said, my heart's desire and prayer is that they might be saved. I believe that this verse, Romans chapter 10, is something that we should still be praying for Israel today. And I'm not going to take away from that at all. I think that, that it's responsible for a church, for Christians, to be praying that God will draw His people, the nation of Israel, back to Himself. But at the same time, I'd like you to take this verse and, and think about it in terms of Paul and what these people were doing to Paul. I'd like you maybe to take Romans chapter 10 and put your enemy's name in for Israel. Brethren, my heart's desire is for Richard Dawkins that he might be saved. And you go, who's Richard Dawkins? I, I talked about him at the beginning of the message. The man that wrote God, the God delusion. A man who is probably a champion of atheists today. To take up the fight against the Christians that he hates so much. I consider him our enemy. So I could put his name right in that verse. My heart's desire and prayer is for Richard Dawkins that he might be saved. And I encourage you today. Put your enemy's name right in there. That he might be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray today for our enemies. I pray that they may be saved. That you might help us to have the love of Christ, which passes all understanding. Love unconditionally. Love as Christ would love. And Lord, help us to serve you. And to just be faithful in having the kind of love that Elisha had, that Jonah showed to the people of Nineveh, Lord, that Paul showed to his enemies. And Lord, I pray that you might open their eyes so that they might see the truth, that we were once sinners saved by grace, and you still have the ability to be a saving God. In Jesus' name, amen.